Thank you, Shane. Good morning again. When I was in youth ministry, uh, one of the fun, well, yeah, one of the interesting trips I got to take um, was uh, we took a group of our junior high boys to the Red River Gorge in Kentucky. And we uh, went with some other, uh, some folks that were in seminary who were students and who were also youth ministers and brought their students. And so we had a group of about 20 to 25 7th and 8th graders. And um, we got them out there in the woods. We were out there for about six days and, you know, just hiking, backpacking from place to place. And it was just a fascinating experience, of course. I mean, junior high boys are fascinating experience just because they're junior high boys. But we, uh, I remember starting out, you know, there's all the bravado and there's all these kids that are, you know, of course, we had a lot of football players and we had a lot of tough guys and they're up there ready to go. And then we had the people that just had no business being in the mountains. We thought they're never going to make it through this. But those tough guys that are carrying all of their extra weight, you know, we had one kid that brought a full six-pack of bottles of Ale 8. And Ale 8 is like a ginger ale in Kentucky that people are addicted to. And uh, you, you can't buy it out here, but they, they just think they can't live without it. So, of course, the kid was like, I can't do without Ale 8. So he had a whole six-pack. His pack weighed 100 and some pounds. You know, like this kid's never going to make it. But all that bravado, day by day, bit by bit, it just begins to kind of be, you know, it chips away. As we all, it's a little more equalized, we're eating together, we're helping each other, we're going through the whole thing. And at the end of the week, we had sort of a rite of passage for those kids, for those boys. And all of us took turns affirming those kids. We would speak words to each one of those kids of things that we had seen during the week and things that we noticed about them. And I mean, you can watch their faces just light up. You know, and they're like, this guy doesn't even know me. And he sees that in me. And it was neat to watch other people that didn't know our youth affirm them and talk to them. And it was just an amazing experience of blessing. We were blessing with our words and with our time, each one of those boys. And I mean, I'll never forget how their faces lit up as we were talking to them. And it was like, we're asking you as you become adults to not forget some of the things that are the most true about yourself. I was thinking about the junior high boys, and then I was thinking how none of us ever outgrow the need for blessing, right? Five minutes on Facebook will tell you that. Uh, we crave blessing. We crave affirmation. Uh, we want to see how many people like our posts. And if liking wasn't enough, we, they, we want to see how many people love it and give like super emojis to whatever it is that's posted or we post. And we're just craving that blessing for someone to say, you're okay. You're good. What you're doing with your kids or with your work or with your thoughts or with your stuff, you're okay. You're good, right? Blessing. We're, we crave that. God, everything that God touches, He blesses. God spoke and a good world was created. God chose Abraham in the text that Shane read for us. And then he blessed him. Right? He called him to do what he had to do and he blessed him. He said, you're going to take my name with you and you're going to be able to do this thing. I wrote a recommendation letter this past week for a friend of mine who's entering a doctoral program. And 
I wrote just kind of the normal stuff. I was thinking the things I've known him for about 20 years. So I was going through all the things that I really appreciate about him and his strengths and his weaknesses and going through the deal. And I submitted it in the online form. And then I copied and pasted it and I sent it to him. And I said, hey, you know, uh, just in case you think I was giving you the rundown, you know, I just wanted you to know. I was the kind of guy, you'd never tell him any of that stuff usually to his face. I want to get, get the big head. But I sent it to him and he called me and said, man, he said, thanks for that. He said, I, I'm just not sure I believe all that stuff that you said about me. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. It's natural to not believe all that stuff about us. That's why we need someone to tell us. And it's by nature we cannot bless ourselves. You and I can't bless ourselves. There's not enough within us to see what needs to be seen in order for us to bless ourselves. So we rely on the blessing of other people to remember who we are. We talked last week about this fourfold pattern that the bread undergoes when Jesus is first, you know, breaking bread with his disciples and feeding the 5,000 and the text in Mark and in Matthew and on. He took bread. He broke the bread. He, or excuse me, he took the bread, then he blessed the bread. He broke the bread and then he gave the bread. And, uh, we began discussing about how our lives as the body of Christ, we undergo these same movements. Let's see, how is it on your screen? Okay, we go this, yeah, we go this way, uh, backwards on mine. Uh, we, we undergo these same movements as the bread undergoes. We are taken, we are chosen, and we talked about how our baptism is a reminder of that. We are taken out of the world, that God chose us. We have been saved. We've been rescued, right? We came through the Red Sea, and we watched as our sins, and we watched as Egypt, uh, and all of its power, drown behind us. Pharaoh and all of his power, everything that held us was drowned in the Red Sea. We came through the waters of baptism and we are saved. We are ransomed. We are redeemed. We are marked. And today we're going to talk about how we're blessed and how we're broken. And then last week, next week, uh, the final sermon, we're going to talk about how we are given as an offering to the world. We are blessed. In number six, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, you speak to Aaron and his sons and say, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. See, the work of the priest was to put the name of God on people. And God's promise is, I will bless those people. And what happens when people are blessed? What happens when we wake up and know that we're blessed? We begin almost instinctively blessing others. Now, there's the old saying in, uh, you know, counseling circles. And when we look at people who leave a trail of, you know, just damage and everywhere they go, we say, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? When we're wounded, it's really hard for us to not wound other people. Everywhere we go, we just wound. Well, it's the same way with blessing. When we receive God's blessing and we know and we believe God's blessing about us, we begin to bless others. It's a miracle. It's an amazing movement that happens. To bless someone or to bless is to affirm the original status goodness of a person. It's what we lose in the Garden of Eden with the fall of humanity. And so each blessing is a reminder of our original state, what we fell from. 
To bless is to agree with God regarding the heart of a person. To bless someone is to look at them and say, now what does God believe and say and see about that person at their core? It's to see through the layers of all the stuff that we've covered over ourselves, that we've you know, we've tried to hide, and it's seeing through all that and saying, no, here's, here's what's true about that person. That's how we bless. It's to see what God sees and to mark people in the same way that God does. And as hard as it is, as it is to do that, to bless others, uh, the real hard part about this whole deal is to receive the blessing because you can't give it unless you've received it. It's really hard to receive a blessing. You and I, we're used to taking care of business, taking care of our stuff, having what we need, finding what we need, making what we need, getting through life like we need to get through life. Really hard for us to stop and to receive something. When we receive a blessing, it helps us to see what we have forgotten about ourselves. It helps us to believe what God has done in and for us and through us. It helps us remember that we are a part of the story of Israel. That just like God chose Abraham and blessed Abraham, God chose you and blessed you and chose me and blessed me. And we forget that, which is why we rehearse it and remember it so much. So this is really our work, is to claim our blessedness. It's the major part of understanding this whole concept is to claim what is true, what God is saying, what others are saying, uh, as sort of echoing what God thinks. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who wrote a book reflecting on these, this movement of being taken and blessed and broken and given, uh, he says that when it comes to receiving blessing, that there is no neutral territory. Just like in the Old Testament, it lays out the way, you know, if you follow this path, it leads to curse. And if you follow this path, it leads to blessing. And now instead, the same is true when we are receiving and trying to claim a blessing. There's no neutral territory. We either believe that we're cursed or we believe that we're blessed. And it's actually easier to believe that we are cursed than to believe that we're blessed. You and I have an easier time affirming and believing that we are cursed than that we are blessed. So, okay, practically, how do we claim our blessedness? How do we lay hold of this? How do we remember and retain God's blessing in our lives? Now enlist two things that uh, really help us to claim our blessedness. And the first is prayer. Prayer, you know, we think of prayer, and we should. And in the Lord's Prayer, of course, we begin by saying, give us this day, right? Give us the things that we need to live. But of course, we begin also in the Lord's Prayer to address God as a father, as someone who loves us, and establishing that we are children, and that we ask for something from God, from someone who is more than willing to give it, because he's our father. So in prayer, we hear the voice of God, we remember we remember the things that we've forgotten, right? We pause for five minutes, or we pause for 30 minutes, or we pause when we're driving down the road and we remember in prayer what is true. Prayer is a pure gift. It's easy to forget that because prayer is also a commandment. 
Prayer is something that as Christians we will die if we don't pray. There's no way to maintain a relationship with God without talking to God. We sometimes forget, though, that prayer is for us. It's such a gift, you know. It's not something that God needs from us. That's not primarily why it's given. So prayer is a gift. I find it very helpful in this way to offer prayers of quiet repetition. Just very simple things. The kind of things you would teach to your kids if you want to teach them how to pray. A song. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Very simple things that we can say and whisper or cry over and over again. And we begin to remember who we are. We begin to remember that we belong in the company of those who address God through prayer. What a miracle. Some people may pray a prayer like the prayer of St. Francis. You know, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Second, how do we claim our blessedness? Through presence. We cultivate space where blessings can flow. So when whoever organized that trip in Kentucky, they were creating space for blessings to happen. We cultivate this kind of space in our annual calendars, in our weekly calendars, in our daily calendars. We are very often too busy to know that we are blessed. We're just flat too busy. We just run smooth by it. It's that thing we know it's there, but we just run right, we just run right past it. It's that, that turn, that county road sign that we've seen a hundred times, and we just blow right by it. We forget who we are. What a gift, the season of Thanksgiving. When we get together with family, and of course there's all the wild things that happen at everybody's family Thanksgiving and all the dynamics and all that, but you know, it's just a season, as Shane mentioned in his prayer, to pause and and reflect and sort of cultivate this practice of gratitude, this time to remember that we are blessed and we have a call to are blessed to bless others. It's the kind of things that you just miss. You know, just we so often we just miss them. Uh, I, I was stop, stopped off in Abilene uh, last week at Salvation Army and drop a few things off. And, you know, if you've ever been to the drop zone over there, they've always got people out there waiting for you. You kind of back in there and they come out to meet you and they start unloading stuff and they argue with each other about where they're going to put it and who said what and where it's going to go and all that stuff. And I'm kind of getting things out. And Ethan was with me and we're standing there. And this fella who is very different than me, comes from a very different ethnic background, no doubt, socioeconomic background, probably didn't grow up in a, very different from me. And he stood there and looked me square in the eyes and he shook my hand and he said, thank you very much. And he said, God bless you. And I guarantee you his face was lit up like the face of Moses when he came off the mountain for meeting with God. That guy had a light in his face. And I, as I shook his hand, I thought, you have given me the greatest gift today. And I could have easily missed it. And in fact, I kind of did miss it until I was finishing up this sermon. I thought, that guy blessed me. He explicitly blessed me. And I almost missed it because we're so busy. 
So the invitation this morning in the subject of blessing is very simple. Receive. Receive God's blessing. When you come and when I come for Holy Communion later, our job is to receive. That's our work. It's very hard work. That's what we've been asked to do. The other invitation, which is kind of the same, is in the same moment and movement that we receive, we get. And we begin to see others. We begin to notice things about others that we know they've forgotten, or we don't know they've forgotten. We just say, just in case you have, let me remind you. And in that cycle of blessing, we offer blessing to others. Think of people in your life who might most need words, gestures of blessing this Thanksgiving season. Who out there might need it just a little bit more than usual? And who is someone you could light up in that way? Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Paul is gushing in Romans 8 about what we receive through the process of adoption from God. And it's sort of confirmed by the Holy Spirit. You know, as Wesleyans, as Methodists, one of the big things we've always championed is the assurance of our salvation. We don't think that people are to be left just wondering for their whole lives. You know, I'm not real sure where I stand with God in this whole deal. I mean, certainly we don't understand perfectly the mind of God and all of that, but we believe because of texts like this that God is wanting to say to us that His Spirit connects with our spirit and confirms that we are children. We ought to have the assurance to know that we are God's sons and daughters. That's part of the blessing process. I know, we know, and man, it's again, it's a hard thing to believe sometimes. But God confirms that in us. We are blessed. We are God's sons and daughters. Paul finishes that section. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. We receive Christ fully. We don't just receive the bits of Christ that seem convenient or good for us at the time. But in fact, we follow Christ and we take up our cross. Right, Our Christian lives will inevitably have suffering, which kind of leads to the next section where Christ has blessed the bread and then he breaks the bread. The body of Christ is broken. Sometimes we are broken just because we are involved in a broken world. We are missionaries through our baptism, all of us, sent into a world that is broken, that does not understand blessing. It is a world full of curse. And so just for being in the world, we will experience brokenness. And if we add on to that the brokenness that we choose, that we bring upon ourselves, that we bring upon others, as we turn away from God, as we love ourselves more than God, as we find ourselves sort of 
in the ditch and the places that we have stumbled into, the things that others have done to us where they have chosen a way of sin, a way of brokenness that we didn't choose, we didn't ask for, we didn't do anything to deserve, it just landed in our laps. All of the ways that we encounter brokenness is all around us. It's a result of a fallen world. None of us escape brokenness. I am broken. You are broken. Every person we know is broken. Every person we've even known about ever or read about in history books, they were broken too. Our first instinct, no matter how the brokenness came to us, is to run away from brokenness. Right? We should have that instinct. We naturally fear death. And, and what is the greatest brokenness that's out there? The most fundamental brokenness is death itself. And death, we are naturally afraid of. We want to run the other way. It's life. It's preservation. It makes, it only makes sense. It's instinctual to run away from brokenness, to avoid brokenness. We all possess brokenness and we become masters of hiding. Now, and in this chapter in his book where he talks about brokenness, he says that we have to learn to befriend our brokenness. It's such a counterintuitive thing, but he's saying, you know, it's his way of saying you have to face it. You have to own it. You have to look it square in the eyes and see it for what it is, not to deny it. And of course, we cannot face or befriend our brokenness until we have fully received our chosenness and our blessedness. Knowing that we are chosen, knowing that we are blessed, gives us the strength and the wherewithal, the orientation to face brokenness. Because if I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going, and I know to whom I belong, and what purpose I have on the earth, I can face brokenness. I can face brokenness and not be afraid. We learn through the scriptures that brokenness does not mean abandonment. Right, that we can be broken, that we can walk in brokenness. It doesn't mean that God has left us. It doesn't mean that God is apart from us. We see our ancestors wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. And God never leaves. You know, they stumble and they fall and they bump up against brokenness day after day after day. And God is always there. The cloud by day, the fire by night, the manna from heaven. Right, They have everything they need to survive. To be alive. They learned in the desert that God had not abandoned them. Think of Jacob wrestling with God. And he knew that even after the wound that God was there. Think of Joseph in exile. There in prison. Getting the raw end of the deal from his brothers. He learned that God had not abandoned him in his brokenness. Think about Moses not getting to cross over into the promised land. Being able to see it and not being able to go. It's one of the saddest scenes in all of Scripture. Brokenness. Because death is the ultimate brokenness, brokenness is something we must accept. For to deny brokenness as Christians is to walk away from healing. Jesus, in his life, in his death, 
in his resurrection reverses the curse of sin and death. He turns it all on its, on its head. He turns the tables. He willingly gives his life, his whole and perfect and sinless and beautiful life. He presents it on an altar that we know as the cross. And he gave that perfect, unbroken offering for the purpose of brokenness, that we might not live our entire lives broken. But through that process of seeing Christ's broken body on the cross, our brokenness becomes less scary. We can face and befriend our brokenness, and we can walk in the way of healing, transformation, wholeness, restoration, He willingly gives his life that we may no longer fear death or its effects, that death would not have the final word. It's important to remember that God does not cause these awful things that lead to our brokenness. Right? These are mostly things that we choose or that others choose in our presence. But the fear, when we're holding all of that brokenness, is that somehow that marks the end. But somehow I have crossed lines and I've created an end for my life, right? This is over. I remember as a kid being deathly afraid of just messing things up. You know, it's like you can picture the family heirloom maybe in the china cabinet or you can picture something that was made that's a piece of furniture that's been in your family all those years. Just those little things and you... And all, you know, some, one time you're wrestling with your brothers and, uh, you break the cabinet door in half. That may or may not have happened once at my house, um, growing up. But yet, you know, and you think, I have irrevocably broken this thing and it will never be like it was again. And that's when we have the thought, maybe it would just be easier if I just ended my life. I don't want to face what's going to come next. I've ended this whole story. We, tend to believe that whatever brokenness we are a part of is a final word and it's an ending. That we have closed a door. That we have shut out possibility. That we have shut out hope. That we have shut out healing. That we have shut out the plans and the life that God or our parents or whoever we're thinking about had for us. And we're wondering what we're going to do now. Or if it's even worth getting up to try it. To try it again. To try living one of the beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it says that this is not the case. Right? No brokenness can achieve the end that we fear. Our brokenness can never do that. It's not powerful enough. Because from the place of the cross, Christ has cried out once and for all, your brokenness is not the end. Your brokenness is not the end. There is hope and there is healing on the other side. King David wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. What did they think? They had ended things, right? They had, through their brokenness, they had shut all the doors. They had ended the book. They had wrapped it up with a bow and it was done. But through God's grace, they faced their brokenness. 
They faced it. They invited Christ to forgive and to heal and to restore. And one of the miracles about this whole process is that in the hands of Jesus Christ, our brokenness can actually become a channel or an instrument for the healing of others. Not only in the hands of Christ can our brokenness become a channel of healing for ourselves, but we become instruments of healing for others. And rather than those things that we broke or that were broke around us, that we have just figured our whole lives were entire liability, God begins to work those into circumstances where we can bless others. We can participate in the healing of others. One of my favorite songs is a song by Vince Gill called Go Rest High on That Mountain. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it, but you've probably heard it. Maybe you've heard it at a funeral. Vince Gill wrote that song after the death of his brother. And it's an eerily beautiful song that just captures, you can tell, how he felt about his brother and what he believed about eternal life and what God's response might be to the tragedy of death. It's been marked throughout history that some of the best art that we have, the best novels that we have, the best movies that we have, the best plays that we have, they tend to come from a place of brokenness. Right? People face, befriend their brokenness, and in trying to process that and process their healing, they write these beautiful novels. They paint these beautiful pictures. They write these beautiful, heart-wrenching songs. For the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, I have kind of dabbled in the art of poetry. I'm a major hack. But I realized one day the reason I do it is to try to process all of the brokenness in and around me. And it's just reaching in the dark, but finding words that capture, that sort of mark, that give a home for the things that we experience, the things we didn't ask for. It helps me to see the avenues for healing and to remember that I'm called to become a channel, an instrument for the healing of others. Everyone suffers uniquely. No one knows exactly what it's like to suffer like you suffer or suffer like I suffer. Therefore, if this cross-resurrection dynamic where healing is not only possible, but guaranteed when brokenness is brought there. That also means that we, that you and I, we have a unique word to speak. We have a unique way in which we can bless. So I leave you with the question, where do you need the blessing of God? Where do you need the hands of Jesus Christ to heal? What brokenness do you need grace to face and to watch and to wait as the transformation, the healing of Christ is present to you in the place that you and I have run from for so long? When you see that place, may God give you the grace to go there with confidence. Confidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus and his healing 
even of death itself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.